Well, good morning, everyone. I trust that today is a good day for you. If it's not, I trust that the God that we worship and serve is able to minister his power and his strength to you in whatever situation that you're in. We continue a series that we're in this summer that's on the Lord's Prayer, and it's how to have a more effective prayer life. And I was just thinking as I stepped up here how common it is for us to think of prayer as something that's rather calm and and sedated. Part of that is because we often pray by putting our hands together, we bow our head in quietness, whether it's praying at the table for the food or praying for a particular need you have. But for me, and in reality, prayer is not a calm, passive, quiet thing. It can be, and there's times for that. But a lot of times, prayer is very expressive, outspoken, and sometimes directly, um, what can I say, confrontational with the God that we have. Because prayer is about relationship with God. Prayer is about communication with God. Prayer is about us drawing into intimacy with God and receiving from him to do what he's called us to do and to see our life forward that would glorify him. And so none of that, none of that is passive and quiet and calm to me. I'm like, let's charge the hill. Let's take the mountain. Let's do the service of the kingdom of God. And whether it's we're seeing something around us that needs to be prayed over, maybe there's some brokenness in our own life that we really need to bring to the Lord in repentance or, or just in need, there is this active energy that goes on with the subject of a prayer life. And so hopefully this summer, as we look at a more effective prayer life, you're being awakened. When, when we talked, as Pastor Michael said there, to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission, well, both those parts, fully alive in Christ and a relationship with him, is alive, and on mission with him is something that's very active and alive. And so prayer is our means to see things forward. You've heard it said from up here several times. I'll say it again. We do not pray for the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer moves the hand of God. And so hopefully as we journey through these weeks and we look again at the Lord's uh, example to us as his followers of how to pray, you're becoming more equipped each and every week and each and every day of your life as we journey through this summer in particular to be someone who is on mission for God and someone who is actively seeing change happen in the world around you because you are serious about this subject, this opportunity, this gift of prayer and intercession. So with that, will you turn with me back to Matthew 6, where Jesus was instructing his disciples how to pray. And the part that we come to today is actually a little bit of a a pivot part in understanding how to pray according to what the uh, Lord's Prayer has uh, said. But the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 it starts out, you, you know how it starts out, right? Maybe you were taught it, maybe, maybe not. We mentioned the other day that the people in Jeopardy didn't really quite know how to you know, fill in the blanks. But the Lord's Prayer starts out how? What? Say that again. Our papa? Our dada? 
I'm coming in a real relationship with him, right? Our father, and it's not your father, it's not Jesus' father, it's our father. We've been invited in to this kinship relationship. We see the example of Jesus and how he went to pray before his father in heaven, and then he turns and teaches his disciples. He says, hey, listen, when you start out, start out with our father in heaven. And in heaven, it's not way out there in outer space somewhere. It's really, to me, that other spiritual dimension. It's around us everywhere. Our Father who is in the heavenly realms, hear our prayer. And the first thing we're saying is what? Hallowed be your name. It's a sacred term. Set apartness. Holy is your name. You are totally other. And we lift you honor and glory and praise. And so when you come to pray in this dynamic, alive kind of state, whether this summer or even today, you are saying, Lord, I thank you for this relationship I have with you, Father. And I pray to you, first and foremost, glory and honor and praise. Even if you're going like through a really stinky valley and there's things aren't going well, you find something. You find something not just to thank him for that, but move on to thanking God for who he is. And that's what hallowed be your name is, is identifying his characteristics of who he is. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus said that's how you start out. It's a good place to start. It's not about repeating those words necessarily. It's, that needs to be the foremost disposition you have in coming to God. And if you're like me, I'm... I, mess it up a lot of times because I immediately want to say, Lord, I got a problem, this, 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 and this, and this, right? Give me, give me, or help here, help there, help this person. It's like, wait a second, time out. Did you just, I mean, if somebody came into your home and they just barged right into your refrigerator without saying hi and thanks for allowing me in, that'd be sort of rude, wouldn't it? Sometimes I'm that way. Sometimes I just barge right in to receive from the Lord when I need to be spending time in his presence. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then two weeks ago, and by the way, Michael, thank you for teaching last week. I watched actually online. I was away back in the Midwest working on some things I had to get to, and it was a beauty to hear your heart for student ministry. In fact, there's a couple of things you said that I carried those with me through the week, and I said, I got to remember what Michael said Sunday. I got to remember what Michael said. So thank you. But two weeks ago, when we were uh, on this subject of prayer, we took on that this phrase, which actually has two petitions, uh, two th aspects to it. So we're honoring and worshiping God. And then he says, you need to do this. Second thing, pray for my kingdom to come, which is his reign and his rule. And then pray for my will to be done. My, my will. Not, not your will. I'm not saying my will, Pastor Kerry's will. Jesus is saying, you're praying to the Father. Your will be done. So our Father hallowed sacred. Number one, two, your kingdom come. Your reign rule wherever all dimensions of life, both now and into eternity. And then we want your will to be happening here on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's the front part of the Lord's model prayer for us as his followers. In fact, if you're 
a seeker this morning and not really cross that line of faith to be a follower of God, uh, this is a great prayer as well because it's turning your heart towards our Father that we sung about. It's turning your heart towards the kingdom of God, not all the other stuff that seems to be bantering in our face every day. And it's going to turn your heart to God's will because I tell you what, if you're not a Christ follower today, there's nothing better than you can do to step into what God's will is for your life. Anything you're coming up with, only second best at best. God's will is a perfect and good will for you. And so whether you're a believer or a non-believer this morning, the prayer centers us on God, but then the petitions take this turn. The petitions are, are, are not petitions uh, up towards the Lord. They're then personal petitions. And so there's three that we'll be walking through in these weeks. Give us, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts or our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now those are incredible statements, and we're going to unpack each one of those, and and we're going to unpack the first one today a bit. Give us today our daily bread. How many of you in here are planning on um, going to the grocery store right after service because there is nothing in the house. Now, I know some of the students are here saying, yep, that's my house, Mom. There's nothing here, man. Trust me, there's something there. Whether it's in your refrigerator, your deep freeze, walking into the pantry, it's got some stock and supply to it. It seems a little bizarre, doesn't it, that God would say, this is what you need to pray for. Pray for our daily bread. Because we, in modern culture, we don't really have much of a concept for what this statement means because there is provision. Now, we may be low, even uh, low on staple items, low on other kinds of things. But trust me, we are not at a place where we're going to starve if we go home today because there's nothing there. But here's Jesus telling his followers, the first thing petition-wise as it relates to their um, situation is to pray for daily bread. Pray for daily bread. But it's hard for us to comprehend. I mean, I remember when I um, was around uh, urban situations uh, more in life when I was in graduate school, like New York City and stuff like that, there were all these uh, little mom and pop kind of uh, little grocery stores. And it's different than how I buy groceries today. If I do buy groceries, my wife buys the groceries. But sometimes I'm at the Costco, right? And what do I do at the Costco? We load it up, you know, big, big, big items here. We're going to put them away. We're going to have. I, I saw people that would daily leave their apartments or their homes and they would go to the corner shop to get their food for that particular day. Now, maybe some of you here do that kind of thing. You tell your you know, spouse, hey, on your way home, whatever, that can you pick up this or that? Or for us today, a lot, it's, hey, get a bite to eat and bring it back. Or now we got you know, uh, Grubhub and Uber Eats and all those kinds of things. So we just sort of dial it in. So we get a little bit of a daily kind of deal. But culturally, that's not 
the way that we live. But back then, when Jesus was talking to them, it was much more of that daily bread kind of need. In fact, I, I came across this this week, uh, the whole uh, uh, Milo's hierarchy of needs. Have you ever seen that? You know, it was a guy who described that, hey, we got various needs, and at the bottom of uh, the pyramid is the physiological needs. You know, we have need for food and water, right, and shelter. Those are some basic needs. And then the next step up is the need for safety and security, right, to, to feel protected. And then there's, there's the need for belonging and for love, those kinds of things. Any of you are familiar with my uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs? Some of you educators out there, that's good. Well, I came across a, a, an adaptation of that which probably gets as close to daily bread for us. And it's this. We have physiological safety, belonging, self-esteem, self-actualization needs. But down here, real basic, Wi-Fi and battery life. It's probably about as close as especially young people get. Where's the Wi-Fi, man? My Wi-Fi's not working. I was on a plane yesterday flying back, and I was planning on getting my church email sent out and do some other kinds of stuff. And the Wi-Fi, I couldn't even buy it. It wasn't working on the plane. Ruined my life. No. That's a, that's a benny, a benefit, right? But what does it mean to pray for our daily bread? Well, I'd like you to turn with me, if you've got your scriptures, to Exodus 16. In fact, it was mentioned in a song that we just sang. In Exodus 16, we have the story of the Israelites in the desert going from Egypt to the promised land. Now, a lot of times I, I, I assume we all know these stories, and so forgive me if this is redundant to you, but for those of you who don't know, you need to know this. God did a pretty powerful miracle, and when I didn't have Wi-Fi on the plane last night, I went to my text I was going to use and open my Bible, and I end up actually going back before Exodus 16. If you know anything about Exodus, it's called Exodus because of why? It was the exit out of Egypt, where the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph there's a famine. Joseph ends up going there. For 400 years, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were not in Israel. They were in Egypt, and they were slaves to Pharaoh. And I read back through all the plagues. When Moses appeared on the scene with Aaron, picked by God to set God's people free, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and said, no, you cannot go. And there were a lot of them. There was a lot of them. There was probably over two to three million people that were the Hebrews that were enslaved, children and, and women in Egypt. Ten plagues. Finally, the last plague was the death of the firstborn son, except for those who had painted the doorposts of their house with the blood of an animal sacrifice and there was the Passover, the angel of death, if you will, passed over those homes. But throughout all of Egypt, it wasn't just the death of the firstborn son. It was the firstborn among the herds and everything. And there was wailing and mourning. Pharaoh had such a hardened heart. God 
my goodness, you read through what happened with the plagues and the exodus out of Egypt, and you're going like, that's the God I'm praying to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A sense of sacredness, hallowed be your name. Holiness. And sometimes I fear that we're so flippant in our approach to God. Hey, old buddy, old God, great God in the sky kind of thing. Hey, how's it going? No, you need to come with reverence. Read through the exodus and the plagues. And there's a settled sense of the awesomeness of God and the power of God. And also the judgment of God. And you see it there. And the Israelites were set free out of Egypt. The crossing of the Red Sea, right? The waters parted when Moses raised his staff to the left and to the right, and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then when they got to the other side, Pharaoh had changed his mind, and they were chasing after him to get him to come back because how else were all the things going to get done if the slaves were gone? And they entered those waters, the Egyptian army did, and the waters collapsed, and they were all killed, every single one of them, the Scripture teaches. Now, if you're a part of that one and a half, two million group of people, and you see all this on the other side, you're going, oh my goodness, we we serve a powerful God. He just literally destroyed and killed our enemy, the oppressors. And they set out then to go to the promised land, but God didn't take them the quick route up through the Philistinian way, up along the Mediterranean Sea. He sent them out in the desert, and he had a reason for this that we won't get into today. But they head out into the desert. And in the desert, they quickly realize that they're not in Egypt. There's a song that says, I want to go back to Egypt. Keith Green used to sing that. And they started grumbling, and I'd like for you to just look at at Exodus chapter 16, because this ties in so importantly um, to what we're looking about today with the Lord's Prayer when he says to pray for daily bread. We're not there where they were in that day, but we need to be a people of eager and great need as well. And to be honest, we end up grumbling and complaining a lot, just like they did then. Chapter 16, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and the Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots and meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I I will rain down from heaven bread for you. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this day, I will, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. You see, he brought a whole team out into the desert, but this team wasn't disciplined. This team wasn't listening to the coach. This team needed to learn a few things. 
And so he was going to use the desert experience rather than the short way to the promised land to build the character, to build the followership, to build the uh, worshiper heart that his followers would need to have. Have any of you recently been led out into a desert in your life and you're wondering why you're there and you're grumbling and complaining, maybe wishing for a former day? I think all of us have been in those situations and if you're not in one of those situations now, be careful because you're probably about ready to walk into one. Well, when you walk into these desert kinds of experiences, know this, that God has a plan for you in that desert experience, and he had a plan for the Israelites in this desert experience, and it was a plan to get their hearts turned towards him, and not some of the former things of security that they longed for. On the sixth day, verse 5, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord couple things there. I always have to remember that when people grumble against me. Maybe they're not grumbling against me. They're really grumbling against the Lord or something else that's out there. This is giving reference to that not only was there manna, the bread from heaven that was being given, but there was also meat. Don't have time to go there, but you can look at it in numbers. They began with bread, and then they began to complain that they didn't have meat. And so God brought in the winds um, from the east, and they brought in quail, and they were able to grab quail that were flying around probably about waist height, and then they were able to kill the quail, and they would have fresh meat. And so that was how God provided for them, both the manna and the quail. Manna is the word for bread. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, pray this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And in his mind, without question, he had the Israelites and the Exodus in mind. As you're moving through your day, your week, if you're in a desert right now, God's saying to you this morning, hey, be careful, wake up, don't go back to some of those sinful patterns that you're to or trying to fix your things. You need to turn your heart to me. I will provide you with daily bread. And he began to provide them. Verse 9, then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the clouds that was coming. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The Israelites did as they were told. And they went out in the morning, and the The manna, it's described this way in Numbers 11, verse 7. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled in the camp at night, the manna also came down. I walked out this morning, got in my car outside, right? 
There's a bunch of dew. It was foggy, right? And it had settled on the car. That's why our cars get dirty, right? They get a little moisture in the morning. Then we go drive around in the desert here in Temecula, and, and they all get dirty, right? So they just keep building more and more and more car washes, especially along Marietta Hot Springs. And so, you know, you just got all these car washes, right? Because we don't get manna on our dew. Uh, we get dirt on our dew, all right? And so, but for them, manna would come uh, on the dew in the morning, and they would go out and gather and collect it. And on the sixth day, they weren't supposed to keep more of it. I can't go into detail there as we move through this morning. But they were only supposed to do it for every day. And if they collected more than that they needed, whatever size of their family, it got maggots the next day, and mildew, and and it smelled rotten. It was terrible. God said, daily bread. They tried to hoard it a little bit. Now, when it came to the Sabbath, right, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy. They were supposed to gather twice as much on day six. So that on day seven, they would have some in honoring of the Lord and worshiping him. And sure enough, can you believe it? If you gathered twice on the sixth day, it didn't have maggots on day seven. God was teaching them something. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am your provider. I am going to give you the manna from heaven. And so with this story is the background. When Jesus exhorts you and I to pray, give us this day our daily bread. There needs to be a heart of dependency upon God just like the Israelites had, to bring that provision. Are some of you short on the bread today? Now, we use the word bread for more than just physical loaves of bread, right? We talk about the breadwinner. There was the movie that said, show me the money, but you could say, show me the bread, right? It's a much bigger word than just a provision to eat. I need you, God, in my life to show me that my provision is a daily provision from you. And whether that's with bread, a physical meal, and some of you know what that's like, praying to God for that provision of a physical meal. Or it's something else. God's teaching us dependency on him. Some of you are familiar with a great, great saint uh, minister by the name of George Mueller a number of years ago, and, and he had the opportunity to, to take care of uh, over 120,000 orphans, and he built orphanages, and he shared the gospel, and, and this happened to, on the heels of a, a lot of uh, kids being orphaned because of situations that were, were there overseas, and, and he had these orphanages, and he was so dependent on feeding all these children on God that it was a lesson that was learned on a regular basis. And in fact, there was one day when all the kids came down, maybe you've heard this before, where the tables were all set for the children in that particular orphanage. I don't know how many, but the pantry was bare, and there was no milk, and the kids all sat down. And the leaders, they knew there was no food. George Mueller, he 
stepped before the children and he said, children, we need to pray to God today. We need to pray to God today for his provision of food. Do you think that God can provide something for us to eat? Sure. During that prayer, there was a knock at the door and a person came in. He was the local baker. And he says, Mr. Mueller, I don't, I don't know if you need it or not, but I woke up at 2 a.m. and I, I couldn't get back to sleep and I felt that you needed some freshly baked bread for the children. And so I have it all here. And as he's bringing it in, there's another knock at the door. And it was the local milkman who was a carrier of the milk. That's sort of, they took it around during those days. And he says, Mr. Mueller, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. My, my wagon, it broke down and I need to have a fix. And I didn't know, would you like to have all the milk that's on my wagon for the children today so I can get it fixed? I don't know why, but when I first heard that story many years ago, it stuck with me as it relates to this provision aspect of praying, God, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And I don't know where you're at this morning and your need. And maybe it's not a tangible need on the lower part of the hierarchy of needs. Maybe it's something higher up in a sense of belonging or self-actualization a sense of self-worth of who you are. But God, who is in heaven, hears your prayer. Is it a prayer of dependency? Because we are to be dependent upon him. Why? So he can manipulate us and control us and ruin our life? No, because he's our father. And he wants to be our provider. Jehovah Jireh is one of his names. God, our provider. And he wants to be our provider every day of our life. And I'm telling you what, if you haven't been there before, if you aren't there now, you wait because it's coming. There's going to be a place and a, a need for you to be fully dependent upon him for whatever that need is. But I want you to know today that your father, your papa, dada in heaven, he knows. He knows your need. And he can provide in his way and in his time. A second story I just want to briefly highlight is that of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Job. Remember Job? I, let me just turn there for a second if you got it. I mean, sometimes we just assume, oh, yeah. But then you go back and you read these kinds of things, and it just does your soul good. Especially Job, who really had a lot of misery. So you think, hey, my life's not as bad as what his was. So Job, and you don't pronounce it Job. So uh, Job chapter 1, here we go. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. If there were cars during that day, he would add a whole set of classic cars, I'm sure. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job was no fluke. Hardworking, smart person, entrepreneurial. He had it all, and he had a great family. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. He cared for each of his children in the condition that they were in. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Uh-oh, something in the heavenly realm, spiritual realm, what's going on? Something I don't see. And Satan said, um, the, Lord said and the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? I, in the spiritual realm, I guess, Lord God, Yahweh, the fallen archangel, Lucifer became Satan and roams on this earth. For whatever reason, God's allowing it to happen until he comes again and Satan's destroyed. But in the spiritual realm, Satan approached uh, God along with the angels and God looked at him and said, where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Hmm, wonder if he's crossed your path or mine this last week. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. <laughs> Look at him. I guess God was showing off a little bit to Satan. I don't know. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Yeah, he's a prized possession because all's going well. Looky there, pretty Job. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And listen to this. It happens so quickly. His whole life collapses. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with all of them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters are feasting and drinking with wine of the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in, a hurricane wind from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are all dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Now, I don't know about you, but if that all happened to me, really quick, I, I would just simply say, Lord, take my life. I'm done. What was Job's response in the midst of this crisis and this trial? At this, it says, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. So he's, he's in grief, right? Then he fell to the ground in worship. 
And what did he say? And, and it would have been a rightful prayer, I think, to cry out to God. You see David crying out to God in the Psalms, God, why have you brought all this calamity on me? But this is what Job says. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I don't know about you, but right there, that shows me the character of Job. You read through Job, and you have his wife cursing him, and friends telling him, you're crazy. God restores Job at the end. But you look back to Job 1, and you see the heart of a man who understood the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Are you there? Are you there to worship God in the, the bad times as well as the good times? Or do you turn against God and run some other direction? And what is it that God's saying to you? Maybe you're blessed this morning with a lot of wealth. Maybe you're blessed this morning with a lot of great family relationships. Maybe you're blessed this morning with a lot of opportunity, a lot of energy and excitement happening in your life. Is your hope and your anchor upon those things? Or if God took away all that money, if he took away those relationships, if he took away the trajectory of your career, if that all collapsed, would you be like Job? And you would pray a prayer, Lord, today, give me my daily bread. May we be mindful that we do not step outside of God's sovereign will and his love for us, especially when he has blessed us with provisions in life. May we stay in his presence and humble before him. Matthew 6, 11 then. Simply says, give us today our daily bread. It's the one petition for you to consider today. It's interesting though, this is spoken, this particular version of the Lord's Prayer is spoken in um, the confines of the Sermon on the Mount, which we went through earlier this year. And if you were to turn to Matthew 6, and you were to look where that verse is found, Matthew 6, verse 11, it's only a few more verses away that we find what Pastor Trey read in our call to worship today. In fact, I didn't even know he was going to read it in the call to worship. Matthew 6, 25. You want to take a little peek there? Jesus in the same thought, and I think he's connecting this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And he says in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And it was read earlier, the, the continuation of that. But if, if I could jump from verse 25 straight to verse 33, it's all sort of connected. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he says, do not worry about this. Or we, but why? Because why? 
You have a Father in heaven. And then he says this in verse 30, but this is what you need to do. Instead, seek first his kingdom, his rule, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Can I simply say this to you this morning? There is a huge connectedness between provision and lordship. And many a times, especially in a Western materialistic culture, the more provision you have in life, the more distant you get from the kingdom and the lordship of Jesus. That's why Jesus gives another reference, talking about the man who had great wealth and had a lot of harvest, and he had to build bigger and bigger barns. But yet he disregarded the kingdom of God, and he said, you fool, this very night your life's going to be required of you. We have to be very sensitive to us moving away from the daily bread prayer. Because we move to a place of self-sufficiency. You see, we're trying to get, you know, not just food in our pantry. You know, we're trying to get that next job and a decent salary so this provision can be made and those kinds of cars. Oh, I don't need rich cars. I just need them working and functional, right? And then I got, oh, the need for housing. And this starter house was okay, but I, or I got to get out of this apartment and the next provision, and you're trying to work and labor and get up to that and go, oh, I, I need my boss to be giving more into my 401k. And so we're trying to think financial management and our whole life starts to get consumed with our provision that we want to keep and, and be protected and safe and I believe it's a tactic of Satan that says you get them to go that direction so they're not dependent on God because if they're dependent on God they're more dangerous and they'll destroy and steal people out of my kingdom because they have a heart of passion and God says no you stay dependent upon me you stay dependent upon me the stories told in the Korean War after the Korean War there were a lot of orphans and so these orphans were being taken care of by relief agencies. And they noticed that the children, even though they had three meals provided for them every day, that the children had anxiety and they were restless at night and they weren't getting very good sleep. And so they talked to the children and they found out from the children that even though they had provision that day before, they were worried because of the life they came under, because of the war issues, that they wouldn't have anything to eat the next day. And so in this one particular orphanage, the relief workers made a decision that they would give a piece of sliced bread to every young child to hold at night when they went to bed. Not for them to eat, but to be a reminder that there was going to be enough the next day. And they began to sleep more calmly because that worry was not there. In that Matthew passage, do not worry. Do not worry. Each day has enough worries of its own. Where are we at in this? I want to give us sort of a, a strong exhortation as I close. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We, we talked about that, right, two weeks ago? And we gave this analogy that there's like 
three circles. Maybe you were here, maybe not. And, and this analogy has to do with who sits on the throne of your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then the cross is outside representing Jesus Christ. He's not a part of my life. I've not invited him to come into my life. And so we want Jesus to come into your life, and we want Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. We want his kingdom to come, right? And his will to be done. We want Jesus on the throne of your life. And he will not discard your personality on handsome because he created it, and then he will order your life as you place his kingdom first on the throne. <laughs> but we might move there initially, but then a lot of times we find ourselves backing into what's called a carnal Christian state. And the carnal Christian state was, thank you, Jesus, for that work. I still want you in my life, but I'm now going to sit back on the throne of my life because I'm going to lead it. And you put him back on the th- You take him off the throne, put yourself back on the throne of your life, and then chaos starts to happen again. And sometimes it takes you a while to learn that there's chaos in your life. And so we talked about this aspect. Now, with this diagram, and I don't know where you're at on these three circles. If you're here, good news, you can move to a place where Jesus is in your life and saves you and transforms you and gives you a plan and a trajectory for your future. If you've backslidden, if you will, and you're in this predicament, then Jesus, just put him, say, Lord, I want you back on the throne of my life. I give you this, this, and this, whatever you have on the throne of your life. And then you can live a spirit-filled, spirit-ordered life not always easy, and it's not that you don't make missteps, but that's the trajectory, and that's where you need to be. So that's all well and good. But this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, what's the next statement? Give us this day our daily bread. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe how we live our life. There's a tendency, not that we're greedy or anything, but there's a tendency to put other things uh, on the throne of our life that are more important. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a relationship, someone you'd like to marry. Maybe it's kids. Maybe uh, it's a new job, a promotion. Maybe it's some type of recreational opportunity to step into. Maybe it's a pleasure thrill or an experience that you're seeking, right? We're big into experiences. That's what Michael talked about last week. Feelings first and experience come then. It's like, but somewhere... Something else has got on the throne of this life, and because we live in a materialistic culture, I believe one of the bigger challenges at times is what's on the throne of the life really could be summed up with a dollar sign. I'm worried about having enough for tomorrow. I can't sleep. I just need more bread to hold on to. What you need to hold on to is Jesus. And trust him. Let him be your provider every day by putting him on the throne. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close the song, but before they come, I, I want to give you a serious challenge. And the serious challenge is this, that we would pray, Lord, give us this daily bread in a spirit of utter, total dependency. It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, whatever you need to do, like 
God telling Satan, you can do anything to him, just don't take his life. You're going to see it. He's going to stand. Whatever you need to do, God, to lead me to a deeper path of dependency on you. And it's not just a dependency originally. It's everyday existence. Then lead me in that way because I want to be so honoring to you and your kingdom coming first in my life. If there's anything else on the chair or the throne, take it off. Remove it. I need your dependency. And everyone in this room has this challenge. No matter if there's something going on in your life that's difficult right now or something that's around the corner. I would have never thought a few weeks ago we were selling into you know, a really great season for us as a church on a lot of fronts and, and some means are being provided and we were able to expand. But as many of you know, we um, use this facility. We own this facility. We have a mortgage on this facility. And uh, the majority of the mortgage on this facility uh, was paid in particular by two tenants that rented from us. And both of those are now gone. We have a board meeting this week to sit down and try to figure this one out. What are we going to do heading towards the fall when the majority of a provision for a mortgage in our building is not paid? And this isn't some pastor closing the message to give an appeal for money. I'm just telling you, we're all in this together. Whereas church family or your personal family, you never know what a day holds. There is great need. There is great need in your life. There's great need in our church's life. And yes, some of that need is monetary need. But I tell you what, I would rather be a man who had little and worshiped a great God than be a man who had great things, had much. And worshiped a little God. The Lord's calling us to Himself. He is our provider. And maybe this morning you need to, to pray a prayer of repentance because you've put something else on the throne of your life and you need to turn it over to Him. Maybe when the offering baskets are passed or use that little app, maybe do some crazy step. Not because, oh, the church, Carrie just said the church. No, it's because the provisions you have in life. have been given to you by God for a purpose. Not to be wasted, not to be spoiled. And you need to seek what his will is for the provisions you have. And whether it's to give it to a friend in need, or a homeless person, or, or to provide for a, a church family for God's glory to be worked through it. Or, or maybe it is a provision for your child for a different day for whatever they're going to do and not what you want to do. You need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit with all the provision that you have been blessed with. I do as well. I, you know, the historical biblical standard for giving is the tithe, right? Some people debate the legality of that and what happened in the New Testament, but you know, you take your salary, you multiply it by 10%, because that's what the word tithe means, and that's what you give into the Lord. Minimum. And then there were offerings on top of that the scriptures talk about. A lot of times I've been there, you're scared to death to give a tithe. You need to hold on to some bread. Just do it. 
calculate it, write the check, give it away to wherever God's calling you, let it go and see what happens. This week, I mean, I tithe, like, we tithe in our home, and so it's like, okay, my salary is what it is, 10%, and give it to the Lord, right? This week, there was an offering going out with a ministry that uh, I have some connection with, and, and they were asking for resources for a particular effort, and I'm like, yeah, next, next email, next email, right? And God said, no, you're going to trust me. I hadn't really even focused on this message yet. I'm going to trust me. It's like, yeah, you're right. I, I need to give to that particular thing. And so send it in online. Like, okay. Not for God to bless me. But a lot of times, you know, the tithe is not uh, anything for the sense of blessing. It's for the sake of keeping the tyrant of materialism at bay and my dependency on the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. Whatever you need to do to keep yourself moved into a place of dependency, go there. Go there. To walk in dependency on the Lord is not weak. It's strength. It will be our strength into eternity. Whether it's for provision, for power, for purpose, that's where you want to go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning I pray across this room, whatever you're speaking to anybody about, especially as it relates to provision, that you would so grip their heart not in a mean or manipulative way, but that you would so grip their heart with a spirit of dependency that they would gladly give. And Lord, it may not be of resources, it may be of their time and, and serving other people. It may be in letting go of some personal dreams that really are self-centered and pursuing your plans and purposes. Whatever it is, Lord, to get you back on the throne of their life, may they go there this morning. In your Holy Spirit, may you minister power and grace to them as they walk in that way. And Lord, begin your work afresh and anew in my life this week. So Lord, in this, we just lay it before you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I want the ushers to come and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings for his glory. Feel free to, to pray up here. We're going to sing it out and talk about our need to worship him in the midst of whatever is going on in our life.